Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today has run his own agency, and he worked with a lot of small Amazon sellers. Not a problem, but there's a trend with small sellers. They kind of come and go. So you, you get them up to a point where they either not, are not able to scale or they just, you know, priorities shift. So uh, you can only help so much. So he wanted to go beyond that. So today he's the Associate Director of Commerce Media at Transact, which is a member of the Omnicom group of companies. So it doesn't get any bigger than this. So he works with large uh, brands so that um, he can expand the amount of help that he can provide. And of course, his knowledge level uh, accordingly. So uh, that's what he does, and when he's not working, uh, he's got two little kids. Uh, he plays dad with them, and and also a uh, very interesting hobby he has. He's into woodworking. So we had conversation about woodworking, and also he plays the bass guitar. So with that, uh, everybody, meet my guest, Jonathan Wilner. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hi, Nick. Uh, hello, listeners. Thank you for having me here. Uh, very excited to uh, dive into our conversation today. Yeah, so when you and I met first and then discussed what we could talk about during the show, and um, and you mentioned what happens, what is your job at Transact? So what happens when you take on a client and usually... You are the guy, it's like the Ghostbusters, right? right? So they call you and I say, okay, we got this. And you figure out what the situation is with this brand, what's going on. So you are the one who has to figure out what to do to improve the performance of a brand. So tell us your methodology. How do you do that? Yeah, so um, that's right. I'm often put in a position where I'm coming on to uh, a new piece of business, looking at a, a brand for the first time and trying to understand what is the landscape here and how can we meet this brand's objectives. Um, and so the first step for me is to understand what are the brand's objectives. Um, I have a whole process which we'll go into once we get once we understand their objectives. But for me, one of the biggest pitfalls and one of the earliest pitfalls that I find in this process is that a lot of sellers, a lot of brands don't actually have specifically defined objectives for what they're trying to achieve on Amazon. Um, I often meet sellers who have goals like increase market share or steal share of voice from competitors or increase ROAS to X dollars. Um, and that's a, that's a great place to start with an overarching goal like that. But when it comes to implementing a media strategy to achieve that goal, that's where sellers, I find, often don't know how to get granular with their objectives. Um, and so the first thing that I try to do when I'm looking at a piece of business for the first time is understand what are your objectives and then working with the sellers to get really specific with their goals. What specifically are you trying to achieve in order to, uh, in order to get to your broader objective? Okay, but this is 
kind of like a politician's answer. You didn't give me an answer. Okay, so uh, the, I I remember you shared your methodology. You look at specific things uh, for a brand. So because if you ask any business owner, so what are your objectives? They're gonna say, make more money. Okay, right. so that's not an objective that you can work with. So therefore, as professionals, you have to define the objectives for them to make more money. So. Uh, and then, of course, there's a methodology to it. So I know you've got a winning methodology. Share with us your approach to for brands to make more money. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I call this as customer search group analysis. Um, and this is basically a process that I've been developing over several years in the industry. But I feel like at Transact, I've finally been able to get it to a point where it's repeatable, reproducible, and it can be applied to any business at any scale. Um, and essentially... It's a way to understand how shoppers are searching for your products on Amazon, how they're finding your products on Amazon, how are they interacting with the category, with your brand, with your competitors' brands. Um, and it comes down to the nuts and bolts uh, is compiling data from a couple of different sources and merging it together so that you can understand what's winnable, what's achievable, how much will it cost to win, and what is the opportunity size here. Uh, so some of the metrics that we like to look at involve data from three different sources. So the first thing that you'll need is a scraping tool. Hold on one sec. So, uh, because you've just shared a few steps, I want that to sink in because it's, it's, um, when you conflate them all, people get lost. So I'd like to dissect because then we can really get into each one of those. So the first one is, what is winnable? So define what that means in terms of winning. Uh, are you talking about a keyword? Are you talking about price point? What are you looking at to determine what is winnable? Yeah, so what we're looking at here are customer personas. The purpose of the customer search group exercise is to bucket search terms uh, you know, whatever people are typing into the search bar on Amazon in order to find the products they're looking for, bucketing those search terms into personas and then defining those personas. What constitutes the shopper that types this sort of thing into Amazon? What are they looking for? What are they interested in? And then is that persona winnable? So can we brand XYZ dominate this persona? Can we make sure that when these search terms that constitute this persona are typed into Amazon, we have a holistic presence that the shopper is immediately met with? Sponsored brand ads right at the top, sponsored product or organic spots in the top of search positions, sponsored brand video ads at the fold. Um, these are, you know, we can go into the an endless level of granularity here, but essentially can we win this persona? Can we be the primary brand that is shown on Amazon when these search terms are entered by people who constitute this persona? Okay, so that's the winnable. So we'll we'll dig into that uh, in a minute. So the next thing that you, sh you, you mentioned is what is achievable cost effectively, right? So tell us what that means. Are you looking at the, the bids, are you looking at the search volumes? How do you go about determining what is achievable cost effectively? Right. So there's an argument to be made that any persona is winnable. But the question is, 
which ones should you focus on and how much effort is it going to take to dominate that persona? And can you do that sustainably? Because, you know, you could throw a lot of money at the wall and dominate a lot of personas, but what is your long-term strategy for owning those personas in a sustainable, achievable way? Um, brands don't want to just throw money and win for a month. They want to understand how they can get incremental and sustainable growth within that persona. Uh, so the types of things that we're looking at, um, as I said, we have three different data sources that we pull from. So one would be scraped information. And we can talk about how that's populated in more detail in a bit. But essentially, that are that's metrics like average monthly search volume, number of impressions on that keyword, conversion rate on that keyword across Amazon. Um, and there's a lot of different places that you can pull this information from. But it's important to keep in mind here that that's all directional data. The, those scraped metrics that you get from whatever source, they're helpful and they're reliable, but they're really most valuable in terms of their directional value. Um, and then we layer in ad performance data. So if you're currently advertising on Amazon, we can layer in that data there and understand what does your performance on these keywords currently look like? Uh, because that will inform in a big way whether this is achievable or not. You know, if you have a very poor conversion rate on Persona X, but you have a much more favorable con conversion rate on Persona Y, Persona Y likely is going to be more achievable. Does that mean that you shouldn't go after Persona X? Not necessarily. There's a lot of factors to consider, but that's one of the factors in how we're defining achievability here is how much is it going to cost and how competitive is that persona? Um, another one that we bring in is CPC data. Um, and that's not from your Amazon advertising efforts already, and it's not scraped data. Um, here's a pro tip for your listeners. Uh, if you want to understand how much you're expected to bid on a product uh, and you want to know what your CPC is going to be generally before you start launching your ads, what you can do is take your list of keywords from your scraped tool. So the top keywords by search volume, for example, put them into a campaign on Amazon, launch the campaign and immediately pause it and then export the suggested bids. Because what Amazon will provide you with is a low estimate, a medium estimate, and a high estimate. So they will give you three ranges for how much they think you it will cost for you to win that auction. And that is a great place to start because that's the most accurate CPC estimate data you can get because it comes directly from Amazon's advertising platform. So it was a long-winded way to say we take a lot of different data from a lot of different sources and understand and then rank the personas that we've identified in terms of how achievable are they for your brand with your budget and your current performance. Okay. So I want to understand better how to differentiate the personas performance on the, the traffic, whether it's the click through and, and otherwise. So we went from defining what's winnable through personas to what's achievable by collecting data and, and looking at the search volumes and, and et cetera. So we'll get into those. And then uh, how much to spend to win in, in that segment? Um, how do you determine how much to spend? So 
I would say that what this exercise provides is not how much to spend, but how much is needed to spend in order to win the persona. Um, so once you have sort of ranked your personas in terms of importance, so which ones are winnable, which ones are achievable, and then you have to decide which ones are we going to go after? Obviously, everybody would love to go after all of them at the same time, but realistically, that's not possible. So you have to determine which ones are the top priorities. And a huge factor for that is going to be how much is this going to cost? Um, and so once you have all the data layered in there from all those different sources, it becomes fairly easy to identify the cost of each of these personas. Because once you have that CPC data, you can layer that with the average amount of searches. If you have your ad data available, you can understand what, you know, what CPCs have you been able to achieve so far and how does that compare to you know, what you've pulled out of Amazon? Is that higher or lower than you expect? Maybe you're bidding a little bit too low. So you can understand what the difference is between your current investment levels and what's needed just looking at that CPC data along with the, the traffic that's coming into those keywords. Um, All right. So... Um, I understand the the whole approach. So you're basically looking at the suggested cost per click, and you multiply that by the number of searches available for that keyword, and that gives you an idea about how much is needed to spend. So uh, not necessarily, it's not a, a prescription about this is what you have to do, it's, it's, it's going to tell you, how much money you need to spend in order to achieve the kind of visibility uh, for those keywords. Okay. And the last one that you mentioned is measuring the opportunity size. So if you, if you do all these things and then you define the personas and then you, you set yourself up with all the data and then you have, you set the budget, how much can you generate? What's the universe? Uh, so tell us about how you determine that. Yeah, so this is another area where your your ad data comes into play. So what we've identified at this point in the process so far is which of these personas are your primary targets, which of these are going to be achievable with your, your current position in the landscape, how much is it going to cost to dominate this persona, and then what is this going to do for your bottom line? How do you determine which of these personas, even among your top priorities, are the most important and what are they really going to do for your business growth? And here's where it starts to come back to the original point about your business objectives, because if your objective is to increase market share, then that may change how you look at some of these personas. You may not be interested in, you know, as much in shoppers who are looking for your branded terms uh, because they're already finding your products. And so the opportunity really may lie in the non-branded terms, in the category terms, potentially in conquesting competitors' branded terms. Um, what's really going to drive the incremental growth for your business? That's the question we're trying to answer here is how do we get, how do we focus what we've learned from this exercise into the areas that are going to drive the incrementality that you want to see? Um, and so that's where we start looking at additional metrics that we've layered in. Um, a lot of the tools that we use to scrape will have something like an opportunity score or a relevancy score or some other way that they have used Amazon's algorithm along with their own proprietary data to provide some sort of score, some sort of numerical value to the opportunity 
And of course, we don't just rely on that, but it's a good indicator that there's more to look into here. Um, and here's where it starts to get really specific to the individual brand, because it really depends on you know what you're trying to achieve. One persona may offer you a, a nice ROAS and you know a lot of impressions, but you're already tapped into that persona. You're already basically dominating that persona. So even though that you know it's shown a lot of promise in the first three stages of this exercise, it's a winnable persona. It's an achievable persona, and it's an, an you know a persona that is cost efficient to dominate. Is it incremental though? Because if you're already dominating that persona, then it's it's maybe not the best place to you know invest your additional dollars in. Uh, because what you want to try to do out of this exercise is move the needle and drive metrics like new to brand and share of voice in the category, share of sales, uh, share of shelf. You know, those are the types of things that we like to measure after we implement this exercise to understand whether we're heading in the right direction. Are we actually dominating these, these personas? Um, so I, you know, maybe a little bit too much of a politician answer for you there, but uh, I will say that the opportunity size is very much business specific, but it really relies on the first three stages of this exercise so that we can lay out all the cards on the table and understand what is the opportunity value here in any of these personas. Yeah. Well, you know, there is a, a, a big wild card in all this. So you can do all this, but at the end of the day, you have to have enough inventory, right? So, so that's always something. So I have a client, we launched them at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of 2023, January, uh, middle of January. And we're recording this in November. So it's almost coming up to a, a year. And they just ran out of inventory halfway through after launch, they had no idea it was going to be this successful. And by the way, the price point on their item is, it varies. They have variations, but the lowest price is $450 and the highest is $700. So we're getting very good uh, takeoffs, very good draws. Everything is good. And they ran out of inventory. So... You know, it's uh, it's all this stuff it has to be factored into, you know, how much inventory demand there will be. So therefore, you have to be prepared for it, of course, three, four months ahead of time. So this is nothing to do with what we were going to talk about, but it's always a good idea to keep it in perspective because yeah, all these things are important and usually people gravitate towards okay how can i get more sales how can i get more conversion and you're giving us the methodology but even if you are 100 percent successful with that you've got no inventory to sell you're dead in the water right yeah i, I mean i think it's a relevant consideration and it's an important one um because you know as any seller can tell you running out of inventory while it's not the worst problem to run into it's a problem and it really affects your growth and your trajectory um and you know this is very much a media focused exercise but that doesn't mean that you can't layer uh metrics like sufficiency and things like that into it because you know if you're 
evaluating your media opportunities and you see that there's a huge incremental opportunity for you to tap into, it's important to make sure that you're going to be able to, you know, support right. that media initiative with your inventory. Right. Um, so, you know, there's no end to the amount of layering that you can do on top of this in order to extend its value. But uh, that's a big one. Yeah, it's really important to make sure that, you know, if you're going to drive those sales, you better be able to ship out the products that come along with those sales. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I always say this. The biggest challenge in selling online is not sales. Biggest challenge is inventory. I should say inventory management. Uh, it's a loaded concept. To me, it's a loaded concept because inventory management does not mean just looking at numbers. Inventory management means being able to project how much demand there will be. And that's a huge challenge. And then being able to stay on top of your inventory movements, how many pieces available at Amazon, how many pieces available in your 3PL, how many pieces already on a PO. And so that requires systems. And finance, right? So uh, how much inventory is needed? So therefore, are you going to be able to maintain this? Because usually you are, especially once you determine the opportunity size and then what it's going to cost you and how long it's going to take to get there. Now you're talking about time. And of course, your ROAS or takeoffs or whatever it's not going to be perfect right from the get-go. So you're going to overspend and then it's going to optimize. So factoring all those things into account, it's going to be months before you see a penny from the operation, right? So so that factors into the, the finance aspect of it. So it's a, it's a big challenge. And usually it comes right at the tail end of dealing with sales. So that's why I say sales, you will figure it out. You can uh, throw some money at it, experiment different things. And then after a while, if you know what you're doing or you're working with good people, they'll figure it out. They'll get you the return and then they'll start driving sales and bang. <laughs> you run out of inventory, you lose the ranks, you lose everything else. So, so that's why it's important. Yeah. One of the things that I love about working at Transact is because we have such a focus on connected commerce, uh, I, I don't operate, I'm a media specialist, but I don't operate in a silo. We work very closely with our content counterparts, our analytics counterparts, and our operations counterparts. And one of uh, my colleagues on the operations side likes to use this analogy for inventory, which is that it's kind of like the plumbing in your house. You don't spend a lot of time thinking about it unless there's a problem. And when there's a problem, it's all you can think about. Um, but it's really important to consider the plumbing when you're building your house, because, you know, if you're looking at all the different components, how comfortable is my house going to be? Is it going to be warm? Is it going to look nice? Am I going to want to have friends over? That's all great. But if the plumbing doesn't work, then none of those things are going to matter. Um, and so, you know, it's, I just, I love that analogy because I think it just really hits the nail on the head. It's not a sexy thing to talk about in the way that, you know, advertising can be. But it's so important because if you're having inventory problems, then it doesn't matter what you're doing with advertising. It doesn't matter what you're doing with content. Uh, so, it, you know, it's, it's the most important. 
So, uh, so Jonathan, let's dig into these four things. Uh, what's winnable, what's achievable, cost-effectively, and how much to spend to win that segment, and what's the opportunity size. So I want to get into the moving parts of these a little bit so that people who are listening, they can apply right away uh, after hearing this episode. So um, defining the customer personas. So let's let's talk about that. So how do you determine that? Because all you have at the end of the day is a bunch of keywords, right? That's right. Um, and I'll say that this exercise starts in sort of a speculative nature and then by the end becomes entirely data-driven. But you have to start somewhere. Um, so generally the way the process starts is first by compiling all of the data that you need. Um, so exporting, you know, you generally know what category you sell in. And so getting scraped metrics out of a tool like analytic index or helium 10 or jungle scout, or there's a lot of them out there and you can use whichever one you want. Um, yeah, they all have different methodologies. So you just have to make sure that you, because it's directional, you stick with one of them. And, you know, you can't use Jungle Scout and then switch to Helium 10 halfway through. That's not going to work. You have to make sure that you're you're sticking with the same data throughout. Um, but once you put all of your data in the same place, most sellers generally have an idea of at least a handful of personas that they think are interested in, in their product. So, you know, if you sell in the pet, the pet category, for example, you know that new dog owners and new cat owners are very likely to be your audience. Um you know, you might also want to think about how your product is positioned, just the way the product is designed. Is it marketed towards a certain age group? Is it marketed towards a certain gender? Is it marketed towards certain interests? Um, so that's sort of your starting point, what you already know about your product and what you can guess about how people are shopping on Amazon. But generally, you can build out 10 or so personas just based on your knowledge of the product and the landscape. So that's one bucket is just sort of, we'll call that the non-branded bucket. The other bucket is your competition. And so we'll call that the branded bucket. And then within the branded bucket, there are people that are searching for your branded terms. So those are just simply search terms that include any brand, any branded information for your product. So your brand name, the product name, anything that is uniquely identifiable for your brand or product. Then competitive brands. Um, so generally sellers will know who their main competition is, but it's often surprising. Um, usually they'll be able to list off three or four brands that they consider their direct competition. Um, but then once we start going through the keywords, we're usually able to find one or two brands that, you know, the seller just didn't have on their radar for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't realize how much traffic was flowing into those brands, how many people were searching for their competitor's brand. Um, or they just didn't see themselves necessarily as direct competitors, but the data tells us where to go. We can identify traffic flow patterns that may not align with your expectations for who your competition is on Amazon. And I, you know, the most fun part of this process for me is surprising sellers on who their competition really is. Uh, because a lot of times they just don't have one or two primary competing brands on their radar because they just didn't either think they were big enough or they didn't think they were relevant. Um, so that's the starting point is just essentially with what you know. And then it's a matter of, you know, here's where the, the meat and potatoes of the exercise comes in and, and what I do with it, which is defining those personas um, with a lot of custom Excel work. 
so we're working at Transact to make this process more scalable by building it into our, our analytics offerings. Uh, but at the moment, it runs out of Excel. And so there's a lot of manual tagging, a lot of automated formulas that go into it. But essentially, what we're doing is we're searching the keyword list. So, you know, you'll have a list of maybe 5,000 keywords that are the top keywords by search volume in your category. And so what we're essentially doing is a lot of VLOOKUPs and things like that. You know, this is repeatable. I, I'm not describing some insanely complicated Excel process here. We're talking about VLOOKUPs and pivot tables. Um, but it's essentially merging all of that data together. So we talked about having the data from your scraped information. We talked about having your ad date performance data and then the CPC estimates that we can extract from Amazon. So it's essentially putting all of that in one place and then you know put making sure that you have one sheet with all of your keywords and then all of that data together and then starting to tag them. Uh, so tagging your personas by the ones that you've already identified. And then during that process, more and more things will reveal themselves. As you're combing through those keywords and sorting them by volume, that's when we're able to see things like, oh, hey, there's this brand that has a lot of search volume that you're not delivering any ads against currently. Did you have this on your radar as a competitive brand? Because if not, you know, it's something to consider. Is that going to be a viable target by the time we're finished with this process? Maybe or maybe not, but at least let's try to identify any potential personas at this early stage and let the data tell us whether they're a good target or not. I have a question for my listeners. Are you experiencing cash flow challenges with your Amazon business? Well, silly question. Who is not, right? So let me introduce you to Viably, a unique solution tailored for Amazon sellers and e-commerce enterprises. By connecting your Seller Central or Shopify account, you can promptly access funding along with a variety of financial tools, all for a flat fee. It's as simple as that. And for my listeners, they are offering an extra $1,500 in funding for eligible applications. Start your quick and easy application today at runviably.com forward slash legends. And that's runviably.com forward slash legends. Okay. All right. So I want to get specific about the data. Uh, so let's go back to scraping data, um, whether it's Helium 10 or Jungle Scout. What is the data that you are gathering? So the key pieces of information that you need here are average monthly search volume. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be average monthly. Some will give you daily search volume. It doesn't really matter. What you just are trying to find out is how many people are typing this keyword into Amazon um, compared to other keywords. So it doesn't really matter whether you're looking at daily or monthly or weekly or whatever, but you need some sort of way to quantify the traffic that is coming into that keyword. Um, other pieces of information that you'll need from your scraper are things like keyword conversion rate. Some of them will give this to you. I know Analytic Index does, and I believe Helium 10 does. This is generally an Amazon-specific metric. So some of these will work on other retail media networks, but we're just talking about Amazon here. Um, and essentially, that is a aggregate of the conversion rate on that keyword across Amazon. Because then you can compare that to your conversion rate for ads that you're already running on those keywords and understand 
is there room for growth here? Um, could we be converting more? Do we maybe have a content issue that's preventing our conversion rate from being what it should be? Or conversely, we're converting on this, you know, three times the average on Amazon. That tells us that people really resonate with our brand when they search for this on Amazon. Um, so that's potentially an opportunity as well. So that's a big one. And then the other one that really has value, and this varies a lot between what tool you use, but all of them will provide you with some sort of way to quantify the relevancy or the opportunity of the keyword for your brand. Um, there's a large variety of methodologies that these tools use in order to produce these and a large variety of what they actual what they look like when they provide them to you. But it is really useful directionally because it's usually a way for those scraping tools to kind of merge a lot of their internal metrics and data that they have and then show that to you in a way where they're not going to give you all of the data behind the scenes. Um, so again, very much should only be considered directionally, but it's a good way to understand you know, how relevant is this for you? And it's a good way to point you in the right direction because, you know, like I said, in this early stage, you generally have a sense of a handful of personas that are going to be relevant for you. But the key is to try to identify new ones. Um, and that's where, you know, the those sorts of metrics that come out of the scraping tools can be really handy to point you in the right direction. So where are you getting the list of keywords? that you need to check the search volumes for? Yeah, so that's probably the biggest value that the scrape data will provide for you. So you go to your category, you know, whatever your subcategory is that you sell on Amazon, and there might be more than one, you know, you might sell in multiple categories. So you might want to do this for, you know, a couple of times for different product lines, maybe if there's really no overlap between them. Um, but essentially you want to find the top couple thousand keywords by search volume in your category. So that's what you're looking for. Um, so you know, if you sell in the baked goods products category, then you want to go to the most specific browse node that you can find for your products and understand what are the highest search, what are the highest volume keywords within that category? And that's the keyword list that you want to use for this re the rest of this exercise, because that's that's how shoppers are searching in the category. Um, so that's why it's so important because you want to capture the most traffic that you can. You want to meet shoppers where they already are. Um, so that that's where you get your keyword list from and you want it to go from highest to lowest in terms of search volume. So Jonathan, there is uh, for brand registered sellers, there is a feature in Seller Central called Product Opportunity Explorer. So you can go there to get this data. I don't know that the data, as you described, is available in Helium 10. Uh, I know in Helium 10, you can plug in an ASIN and you know your competitor or multiple ASINs, and then you can get all the keywords they are indexed for. But um, I may be wrong, but I don't know that you can just plug in a category and then it gives you all the keywords and then all the conversion rates. Conversion rates I've never seen in Helium 10 that's available in Product Opportunity Explorer, which is a good source because you can go in and either select a category uh, or type in a keyword, and then it will give you all the search terms that are associated with that, that people are searching for together with all the uh, conversion rates uh, on those keywords. So, uh, so that's 
essentially what you are saying is look at how people are searching in your category and then in those identify the 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 keywords that indicate a certain persona right yeah that's exactly right and like i said it doesn't matter where you're getting it from if you want to get it from you know amazon's native tool that's fine too uh, personally, I prefer analytic index. That's what I usually use for this because they do have all of that information in there. And I believe there are ways to get a list of category keywords out of Helium 10. But, uh, to be honest, I haven't used Helium 10 in, in at least a year. So, uh, yeah. I'm not sure that I could point you exactly to where that is, but at any rate, it, like I said, it doesn't matter where you get it from as long as you're using the same source consistently, but, Anywhere that you can get a list of keywords in your category by volume, that's ultimately the most important part of it. So, you know, you, you um, refer to them as personas. And I mean, ultimately, they are personas, but it's the target audience, right? So it's, it's a different situation, though. Where you're coming from is looking at where the demand is. But the product owner has the idea of, okay, this is our target audience. So one is supply, the other is demand side of defining who the customer is going to be. So what do you do when you have multiple of these that would be a good fit? Yeah, there, there's always going to be overlap, right, between the personas. So, you know, let's say, for example... One of the common personas that we find across many sellers, no matter what they're selling, is price conscious. Um, are shoppers modifying their searches with anything like deal, discount, low price, cost saving, anything like that? We're looking for terms that indicate that a shopper is price conscious. Some brands, some sellers, we find that that's a viable persona and others we don't. It really just depends. But that's one that we search for across any brand is our price, our shoppers price focused when they're searching for this. Um, to your point about, you know, supply and demand and the different audiences, I, that's a very good one. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because one of the things that always happens when we run this exercise is that the seller has an idea of what their target audience is. And what we present them with is these are not exactly one-to-one aligned with what your understanding of your target audience is. And that's the point of the exercise is to merge those together. And because you know, as a seller, who you want to sell your product to. But what we can provide you is how are shoppers finding your product on Amazon? And then the goal of this exercise is to merge those two together and understand how can we build your target audience that you want to reach out of these existing audiences as they exist on Amazon? As you know, Amazon often loses inventory or overcharges fees. With Arti, you can now recover up to 30% of your lost revenue at a monthly flat rate of only $99 with no commission fees for unlimited reimbursements. You can increase your bottom line. They're automated Amazon compliant process ensures hassle-free refunds. Visit www.getarty.com forward slash legends and sign up today to get one month free and discover your recovery potential. Yeah. Yeah. It almost sounds like one of those movies, target audience, Target audience meets customer persona. And then, uh, so really, 
uh, start with the target audience, but transform it into customer persona, define the keywords associated with it, figure out what kind of search volume is available, plug those into campaign manager, pull up the cost per click, and there is your budget. And also by looking at the conversion rates on those keywords, you have an idea where you rank in terms of your performance. And, and then going forward, just keep tweaking, right? That's pretty much the yeah. methodology as I see yeah, it. That, that's pretty much it. And I know it sounds like this is cumbersome, but it's so important. It's so important because I, I can't, I mean, I've been doing this for eight years and I can't tell you the number of times I've met with clients from Fortune 500 companies down to the, the smallest seller with a $500 budget. They they so often at any level are flying blind because they know only what they expect their target audience to be, you know, to your point, so the supply side, you know, so they they're only operating on that and they're not looking at what the audiences are. How are they segmented on Amazon? Um, it seems like such a basic thing, but so many times I find that this step has just basically been completely skipped over and, you know, brands are struggling to reach their target audience because they haven't reconciled what they imagine their target audience to be with what the actual audiences are on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it it has to resonate. And also, you know, another very important aspect of this is, and we're not even talking about it, but what is a listing at the end of the day? Listing is a title, a bunch of pictures, possibly a, a couple of videos, bullets, A+. plus. Well, who is that content for, right? Right. So if you don't do this work, you're preparing all that content for people who will not connect with it. And the whole idea behind building that content in a way that will make the sale is so that it connects with whoever is looking at it. So if you haven't done this work and you're just simply going according to what you think it should be, based on who your target audience is, uh, the chances are your conversion rates will be fairly low uh, and your click-through is going to be low. And so you'll, you'll miss the opportunity. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I say this all the time, but you can't fix a conversion rate problem with traffic. If there's a mismatch between how shoppers are finding your product and what they're finding when they arrive on your product detail page, you're going to have a conversion rate problem and no amount of impressions is going to change that. Um, you know, what's nice about this analysis is it doesn't just inform your media strategy, it informs your content strategy too. Because, you know, if you're able to identify, for example, that shoppers are really interested in the safety element of your product, you know, obviously this isn't going to be relevant for every type of product, but if you have a product where safety is a factor and you're able to define a persona within this exercise, where people are really shopping in large volumes and searching for the safety component, 
then you need to make sure that that's demonstrated on your product detail page and throughout your media creatives. So, you know, sponsored brands should show the safety elements. Sponsored brand videos should lean into the fact that it is safe for your house or, you know, all whatever the safety component is. Um, and you want to make sure that that is, that is driven home on your listing, because if you don't, you're not getting that edge on your competitors. You've identified that there's an opportunity of shoppers who are looking for the safest product in the category. And you can lean into that with your media efforts and your content. Um, and then you can really own that persona in that way. Yeah. Well, there is a concept about connecting over common emotions. So there are eight of them. So 100% of the world's population connect over these eight core feelings. So therefore, in your content, whether it's the pictures or but this is a big factor when you're building your bullets, because people look at those bullets. And then if you communicate this message, you'll be successful in connecting with whoever is looking at that page. So the reason I bring this up is because you mentioned safety and guess what number one core feeling is that people connect over. Safety and security. Survival and safety. So there is a good chance that you can find that safety factor in any product. Or I should say majority of the products, which is food, toys, or personal items, home goods, you name it. I mean, you know, things catching fire, you know, certain clothes, you know, being more exposed. So, so uh, it's it's important. So, of course, this all ties back to the persona, right? So if, if especially one of the personas or there is like a, a dominant persona who is safety conscious, then you have to build your content around safety. And then that's going to get your conversion much, much greater. And of course, better conversion usually means better ranking. So, and better return on ad spend, right? So everything ties back to conversion at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, the other thing that I, I want to stress here is um, campaign structure that is aligned to these personas. So, you know, a lot of times what we'll find when we start looking at an account for the first time is they have their keywords grouped into branded, non-branded, and competitor. Or maybe there's a fourth category, uh, but typically it's it's that. And then campaigns will be structured with, you know, a couple of products in a campaign against all the non-branded terms, um, which, you know, it, it's definitely good to segment that way. But what, what we want to drive is increased campaign structure granularity that is aligned with these personas. So, you know, a, a couple of campaigns that are specifically targeting the safety element, non-branded search terms that mention safety or are related to that concept in some way. And that way we can understand how we're performing against that persona. Um, otherwise, it's just very complicated to try to analyze your ad performance against these personas if you don't break out your campaigns that way. But if you do, 
it becomes very easy to see how much share of voice have we gained against, you know, the safety persona? What are our main competing brands within the safety persona? And then we can start to do cross persona overlap campaigns where we can take a look at, you know, we've identified this persona, the safety persona, let's call it. And we've also identified that two of our major competitors what we're finding is safety terms and their branded terms. And so that way, you know, we can have a campaign that is targeting non-branded safety persona keywords, and we can have one, you know, a set of campaigns that's targeting competing brand X and the safety component, just the overlap between those keywords, because then that's how you steal market share from your competitors. You don't just want to target all of their branded terms. That's going to be very expensive and an uphill battle always. But if you can identify these cross-persona overlaps, we can take the safety persona from our competitor. We can dominate the safety persona from the non-branded side. And we can take all of the shoppers that are searching for our competitors with those safety terms, and we can dominate that persona entirely. And then once you have an organic presence there, once you've you know dominated that persona for long enough that you are organically dominating it, then you move down your priority list and you say, okay, well, competitor Y, you know, overlaps with this other persona, and that's going to be our next target. Um, so that's sort of like what the output eventually comes out of this exercise is very granular campaign structure targeting these personas and measuring your growth against them. Yeah, this is a whole separate discussion and a, and a very loaded one about structuring your campaign in a way that will help you. We've actually done a, an episode on that. Uh, so uh, for my listeners, if you uh, look up an episode, I, I forget his, uh, Sean Stone. So if you look up his episode, Sean Stone, um, he has, we have in fact done two episodes and one episode was about structuring the campaigns in a way that you can pinpoint. The way he put it was how to structure your campaigns in a way that will help you identify the problem, pinpoint the problem, and uh, bring predictability into your performance. Uh, so he, he, he used a few other words, but it was all about being able to dig in and very quickly find where the, the, the dysfunction is. And, and it was all about structuring it. And then what happened was I said to him, so he explained, he said, okay, the first you do this and then you do this and then you do this. And it was all about using the ad groups and the types and, and everything else. And uh, so I said, so what if you're not set up this way? How do you switch? <laughs> so he said, well, that's the toughest part because there is a way to do it, but you have to follow the methodology. And if you don't do it right, you can actually mess up the whole the whole thing. So it's a sensitive thing. I would not advise anybody to go around, you know, changing the campaign structures. But what you are introducing is make sure that customer personas are part of your campaign structure. That's uh, that's very important because then you can see how your your return, 
on your ad spend and your, your click-throughs and conversions and all that stuff uh, you can track. This is yeah. uh, great. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's not easy, but that's the secret to to putting up a building, right? It's building block uh, one at a time. And then once you have the right kind of results, you move on to the next one and the next one. That's uh, customer persona by customer persona. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, to your point, it's very difficult to overhaul your campaign structure. And there are a lot of ways in which you can shoot yourself in the foot for sure. Um, but I would say, you know, generally what I've found with this exercise is, you know, as you said at the top of the call, I'm often coming onto an account with a fresh pair of eyes and tasked with doing this sort of thing. I, you know, it's often not the best time to do a complete campaign structure overhaul in order to align with this. Sometimes that is necessary, but you don't need to do that necessarily. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. You can adopt this strategy for your net new campaigns that come out of this analysis. Um, and all you have to do is make sure that you're not, you know, overlapping with the existing campaigns. So for example, to use our, you know, competing brand X and safety persona as a campaign structure, you don't need to overhaul all your campaigns to do that. You can just set up that campaign in that way and then just make sure that you negate all those keywords out of your other campaigns so that they're all consolidated there. And that it doesn't require some major overhaul or, you know, starting from scratch. And if you do that with all of, you know, as you roll out new personas that you're targeting and new initiatives, over time, you'll phase into this new campaign structure without having to, you know, take it on as a big, hairy project. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, uh, I remember in the early days of Amazon, there weren't so many layers for success. It was much easier and this gets harder and harder. But the way I see it is, you know, I say this to everybody, you know how medicine is. There isn't like one doctor that you go to. If you ever, God forbid, you get sick, you go see your primary physician and then he'll refer you to somebody who specializes in whatever that may be. And then if you need something, a minor surgery or whatever you have, the God knows how many labs will get involved and how many specialists. So there is like so fragmented, there's so many different aspects of building an Amazon operation. You have to understand the, the, the whole strategy, everything you and I covered in this episode. And then comes the, the content aspect of it. That has a, a whole psychological component to it that you have to factor in. And then there's the quality of the production. And there's the use of AI in the process. And then ties back to your inventory. And then the whole financial. So it, it's not an easy thing. It's not something that you can do. At the beginning, I think that the right thing to do is do everything yourself so that you have an idea what it's about. But ultimately, align yourself with good people who specialize in these areas so that uh, you will win ultimately. Well, uh, Jonathan, this, this conversation is high level, but I think you have given us the roadmap in terms of how to really have focus in which way to go cost-effectively 
and also knowingly, you know, what it is that you'll be able to achieve. So it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. So uh, we've come to my favorite part of the show where I get to know my guests a little bit more. And uh, so tell us, take us back to your beginning. Where were you? Uh, where did you grow up? And then what was it like as a kid? Uh, did you have any signs of interest in what you're doing today? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where I still live. Um, and um, I will say that if you had told me 15 years ago that this is what I would be doing, I would have laughed in your face because I did not go to school for business. I did not go to school for marketing. I went to school for environmental science uh, and worked in that industry for a couple of years and just kind of fell into this um, through circumstance. Um, I started working for a brand um, that just, it, it started as a side project of two Hopkins students who were basically tasked with starting a business as uh, cheaply and as profitably as possible. And so basically this was, they were business students at Hopkins and they were given an assignment to start a business and make a bunch of money. Um, we're a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically the gist of it. And so they started importing posters from China um, and selling them. And then they realized that you don't need to import posters from China because there's a wealth of public domain images available for free on the internet. And so they developed some processes by which they scraped the internet for public domain images by the hundreds of thousands and processed them into Amazon, eBay, and Shopify listings, um, which then people could then purchase, and then they would print and ship them out. Uh, and it was just sort of a side business. They both had other jobs, and it grew into a successful company, and they needed somebody to come on and manage it. Um, and so I came on as the director of operations and just kind of learned everything from scratch there. Um, we had about a million and a half products live on Amazon, eBay, and Shopify at any given time. You know, a lot of sellers don't know this, but there's a high volume listing fee on Amazon. They'll charge you a certain fee for any product over, I want to say 500,000 listings if it hasn't sold in more than a year. Um, and because our strategy was essentially, you know, any one of these posters would only sell a couple of times a day, but because we had 1.5 million of them, it added up. So we basically had a revolving door products coming in and out of our Amazon lineup to avoid that high volume listing fee. Um, but at any rate, that's where I learned to scale and grow things on Amazon and learn the ins and outs of Amazon advertising, learn seller central, um, and then people just kind of started coming to me for Amazon questions because they knew that I knew Amazon uh, and I started charging them money. And then before I knew it, I had an LLC. And before I knew it, I had an agency uh, and I was running a consulting agency for Amazon. I blinked and it happened. Um, and so I did that for about a year, sort of on the side it was my side hustle off of my day job, which was my employer's side hustle off of their day job. Um and then I developed a relationship with an engineering firm in California. Um, and so clients would come to this engineering firm with ideas for a product and they would build out, uh, you know, physical manifestations of that idea, beta test it, prototype it, and eventually give them a working model of their idea and then build out all their supply chains 
and everything, uh, and then pass them off to me to bring them to Amazon. Um, so that was uh, a big development in uh, in my company, uh, which was called the Market Lab. And uh, so I left the poster business and focused full time um, with my consulting agency. And I did that for another two years. So I did that uh, for three years total. Um, and then, you know, we were growing and scaling and I was enjoying it. I was working with a lot of really small sellers who either had hit a wall with their own internal Amazon management, or they weren't happy with the agency they were working with, or they just had never entered the Amazon landscape and they didn't know where to get started. Um, this also was right around when COVID hit. So there was a very much renewed interest from businesses to enter the Amazon landscape or accelerate their Amazon presence. Um, so I was doing that uh, just myself the whole time. Uh, and after three years, I decided I have taught myself everything I can teach myself. And I need to be in an environment where I can learn from others because I see all these other things happening in the industry that I just haven't had the opportunity to touch yet. Um, so I shut down the market lab and I entered the ad tech world um, with a company called Quartile. Um, Quartile is a, a software company and agency. Um, and I can't say enough nice things about them. They have a remarkable product. I think that their bid management software is, is one of the best on the market. Um, but when I was there, I was able to sort of the doors open to me into the larger industry as a whole, because I had been so focused on a certain type of seller doing a very certain kind of thing. And I got very good at that, but I wanted to expand and, and see what else there was in the industry for me to interact with, see what other things I could learn. Um, and that really opened the door for me. So uh, since then, I've been working with mostly much, much larger brands, um, right now I work with fortune 500 companies. Um, but you know, I'll say having gone from working with very small businesses on Amazon to very large businesses on Amazon, most of the problems are, are fairly consistent. Um, you know, these types of things that we've talked about here on the call, these are things that are affecting brands of any size. And these are problems that brands of any size and scale are struggling with is just, you know, how do we reach the shoppers with what they're finding on Amazon? So, um, yeah. you know, I've really enjoyed being able to bring my experience working with small sellers uh, and merge it with my experience working with large sellers to produce ideas that really anybody can use. Yeah. Well, this is what I always say. So doesn't matter how big you are. If you have not been selling on Amazon for a long time, and nobody is because these large brands didn't even want to enter in the Amazon space until a few years ago. Uh, so uh, either way, whether you are so big, established brand or a small guy, when you start selling on Amazon, you are a startup, period. Because you have to do your homework with all the keywords, the personas, the metrics. And all the weird ways that Amazon wants you to operate. Everybody is on the same level as far as the things that they have to do. And the only difference is large brands have more money to spend. 
and they can finance their inventory much easier than small ones. But the work that needs to be put in is there's no difference. This is a great conversation, Jonathan. So tell us how can people reach you, share your contact information with us. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find me uh, through Transacts LinkedIn. Um, you can reach me at uh, jonathan.wellner at omctransact.com. Um, I'm always available to answer any questions. If anybody has anything that's coming out of this podcast or anything else they want to chat about, shoot me a message on LinkedIn, send me an email. I'd be happy to chat. Uh, if you'd like to know more information about Transact and the services that we provide, you can go to our website at omctransact.com. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, to meeting any of your listeners and we'd be happy to connect with them. Great, great. I'm sure you'll hear from them. It's great to help that our conversation will provide for some of our listeners. I'm sure they'll benefit from it. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Nick. It was great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Before you go, make sure to sign up with Arti and claim your lost revenue. Visit www.getarti.com forward slash legends to register. You will get one month free and experience Arti's features. Sign up now at www.getarti.com forward slash legends. Also, say goodbye to your cash flow problems and claim your extra $1,500 when you qualify for $25,000 or more in funding. Go to www.runviably.com forward slash legends and start your application today. Thank you. And... This brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode, and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.